Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blood of wicked proportions, an accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the At TSN Hockey Bobcast, Volume 2, Episode 3. This one for Friday, October the 20th. 2017. I guess we can call this the Gord Downey edition of the Bobcast. Simple as that. Very difficult week. Um, We lost a great Canadian, uh, an unbelievable talent, but most importantly, just a a really special guy. And on uh, Tuesday evening, surrounded by his family, uh, Gord Downey passed away at the age of 53 years old. And it was not unexpected in the sense that we knew that day would come. I guess we know it's coming for all of us sooner or later. But because Gord was, uh, at least we found out on May 24th, 2016, that he was diagnosed with incurable brain cancer, that it was inevitable. So a little less than 17 months later, he was gone. Still, it doesn't really make it any easier to um, to accept the news or to take the news that I got on Wednesday morning. I was doing um, my radio hit in Montreal from uh, Pearson International Airport, and uh, towards the end of the interview, uh, Connor McKenna told me that uh, the release had been put out by the, the family through the tragicallyhiptohip.com that Gord had passed away, and I, I just felt such a an overwhelming sense of loss, I'm sure, as um, so many people did, especially in, in Canada. Um, I don't know. Um, Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip, it's difficult for me to even put into words um, how much they meant to me, how much they meant to, to so many. And I think as fans of Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip, we all feel that loss incredibly right now. But let, let's be clear on one thing, because we, as much as we're all fans, first and foremost, before Gord was a rock star or a great lyricist or the, the great Canadian poet that we we made him out to be um, he's a family man and so for um, his mom Lorna his uh, sister Charlene and uh, uh, Paula as well as his brothers Mike and Patrick and of course Gord's children um, our deepest condolences to the entire family um, I'm sure it's a, a very difficult time uh, for them so he was a great rock star. He was a great Canadian. Um, but for them, he was a son, a brother, a father, an uncle, all those things. And uh, so we think of them uh, very much at this time. And, of course, our condolences to the entire uh, Tragically Hip band. Robbie Baker, Gord Sinclair, Paul Langlois, Johnny Fay. Um, that was obviously Gord's family as well. Uh, anyone who knows me knows that uh, the Tragically Hip was my band, and Gord was my guy. In fact, I, I don't think there's no other band or singer who's had such a profound and personal impact on me as Gord and the Hip. And, and I know I'm not alone in that regard. Um, for whatever reason, Gord and the Hip spoke to me like nobody else. And it, it, the music, the lyrics, um, can't really explain it, um, but there was just a a really deep and profound connection with pretty much everything they did. And uh, I remember the very first time I heard the Tragically Hip, it would have been in the late 1980s. And I know lots of people have stories of seeing them at, at uh, Queens or Carleton or whatever before they became famous, so to speak. But first time I heard their music was in the late 1980s and from their uh, original uh, EP that was put out at the beginning. And so it was Last American Exit and Small Town Bringdown were the, the two songs that much music played a lot and got a lot of airtime on the radio. And the, the moment I heard that first riff of Last American Exit, I, I, I knew this was something that really connected with me. So I, um, they ultimately became the, the soundtrack of my adult life. Um, and uh, I was fortunate that I got to know Gord a little bit. Uh, the very first concert I saw the Tragically Hip at was in July 
1991, right before the Road Apples CD was coming out, and I uh, got to meet Gordon, the guys backstage, and uh, got to talk a little Boston Bruins and found out how much Gord loved hockey and all the guys in in the band did. And over the next number of years, um, you know, here and there, uh, paths would cross, emails would be exchanged, um, got invited to... Uh, Gord's wedding celebration at the uh, the Horseshoe Tavern in Toronto, along with uh, three or four or five hundred of his closest other friends. Um, and as I said, uh, he would email me. He, he used to do hockey pools and for the guys in the band and the road crew and what have you. And he'd be asking for hockey pool information. Or he, uh, he very astute guy in terms of hockey. A huge Boston Bruin fan, as as everybody knows. And if he didn't like what was going on with the Bruins, he would send me some scathing emails asking me what the hell is going on, why is this decision being made, and uh, in great detail would uh, would question what was going on with Boston or in the good times celebrate the, the good things that were going on. So we developed a little bit of a relationship over the years and um, lots of great times. I think back to 2002, everybody remembers 2002, the Salt Lake City Winter Olympics and the fact that tragically hit played there after the show was over and they played to the, the Canadian athletes. Um, that was a remarkable night that uh, didn't end until six or seven in the morning. Gord, his dad, some other family members and friends. And uh, that was uh, a night that, uh, that we absolutely cherish. Um, Gord was such a special guy. Uh, so down to earth, such a wry sense of humor, so gentle, so kind. And yet, when he gets on stage, such a dynamo, there was quite a contrast between Gord off stage and Gord on stage. In many ways, he was an everyman. And uh, in in many ways, he was special and, and unique, like you, you cannot believe. I um, wasn't really sure how I should honor Gord Downey and the passing of Gord Downey. I thought I could play a lot of uh, tragically hip songs and talk about how much they mean to me. And people always ask me, what's your favorite? You know, rank them. And a lot of people have been doing that. And fair enough. But I really have a tough time ranking them. And I don't know what my favorite song is. What I did decide to do, though, was um, basically devote this entire Bobcast to uh, to Gord and uh, the music of the hip. And I've got it obviously playing in the background there. And maybe one day I will compile a a definitive list of my favorites, your favorites, if you will, um, and rank them by number or, or talk about how special this song means or why this song's special. But I, I don't think I'll, um, I'll do that anytime soon. And uh, I just thought it would be um, fun to reflect a little bit on, uh, on some of the hip stuff and, and, and history with Gord and share one thing in particular. And I, I was really fortunate um, when I wrote my book, Hockey Confidential, in 2014, well, I wrote it in 13 and 14, but it came out in the fall of 2014. And I knew when I was putting together this book of um, this anthology of hockey stories that one of the chapters I wanted it to be about Gord Downey and the Tragically Hip and their connection to hockey. And um, so I was hopeful that I could sit down with Gord and perhaps interview him. And Gord was kind enough to um, to do that interview with me. In fact, we uh, we met at Joe Allen's uh, restaurant bar on the Danforth in Toronto. This would have been in January of 2014. And uh, I thought uh, we'd sit down and talk about this hip hockey connection. It's something of a cliche. And uh, Gord didn't like cliches, but uh, nevertheless, it resulted in... Uh, what I thought was a pretty terrific interview that led to a terrific chapter um, in my book. And um, if you've read the the book, uh, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. I, I ran into Gord's brother last December, his brother um, Patrick, and he was talking about how Gord was usually so shy about talking about some of the personal stuff in his uh, in his life and his, his background as a kid playing hockey in Amherst View. Um, but Patrick was was thrilled that uh, we were able to chronicle that aspect of their lives, and it very much was a family affair for him and his his two brothers, Mike, his older brother Mike, and his younger brother Patrick, who were a trio of crazy Boston Bruin fans. 
and uh, so, anyways, I thought today one of the, um, the 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 great things to do to honor Gord and to reflect on his life would be to share some snippets of that interview that I did that day and uh, put them here in the uh, Bobcast. And if nothing else, it's um, really nice to hear Gord's voice again. So, as I said before, Gord really knew the game. He he really understood the game. He had an unbelievable passion for the game. And as much as he was a Bruin fan through and through, at the time that we were sitting down in January of 2014, he found himself becoming less and less a fan of hockey and the National Hockey League brand in particular. And there was a particular event that happened just prior to us getting together. If you remember the Vancouver-Calgary line brawl to start the game, Bob Hartley, John Tortorella, and of course it was punctuated with Tortorella trying to get at Hartley in the the Calgary dressing room. And um, whether you like fighting or not in the National Hockey League, and, uh, um, and obviously there are lots of people who have strong feelings on both, um, and Gord didn't like fighting, which is unusual for a, a lot of Boston Bruin fans. I want you to listen to how eloquently um, he explained that in our meeting that day. Harry was never a big proponent of fighting. He was actually one of the early guys, you know, that thought it was dragging the sport down. And I, I'd come at it from that other angle, too. Like just this idea, like, can you give up $2 in order to make 5 And I, I you know... In other words, in hockey, would you risk alienating your core group of fans to bring in arguably more than twice as many? I don't think that parents looking at the game, I mean, there's a bit of a bait and switch going on. Bring your kids. Kids eat half price, you know, but it's like going taking kids to a Disney film and halfway through it, you know, hardcore porn, you know, <laughs> porn scene breaks out, you know. It's like, you know, it's like you're not, you're not being... Being a bit disingenuous when you're advertising, you know, and, and bare knuckle fighting scares kids more than almost anything on earth. Yeah. Until they become inured to it, until they become, you know, kind of acclimatized. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't see it. And again, I mean, I adhere to this idea that sports are meant to hint at man's ideal, not just mirror our reality, right? And this is how we solve things in real life. We fight, we fight in the street. We, I apologize for the uh, the audio quality there. Um, I didn't ever plan on broadcasting that interview. I was just I I never tape interviews when I talk to people. I I did in this instance because I knew I would have to transcribe the interview uh, to to get the material for the book. But uh, so it was pretty noisy in Joe Allen's that day. And uh, so, anyways, but uh, it's it, it gives you an idea of how he felt. And we talked more that day too about. The, the position that he played when he started playing hockey um, and and that is in goal. And uh, it was interesting that Gord would talk about how he, he automatically, after one year of minor hockey where he played out, played defense, war number four, of course, go figure, um, that he gravitated towards wanting to be a goalie. And that, because uh, he'll explain why here in a second, but also the the fact that it's not surprising that when he decided to get into music, um, that uh, he wanted to be the front man, the uh, the single individual in the game or the band who could impact the performance. I used to play goal all the time, road honking in the garage with my brothers, and I really liked it. I played goal on a team that was super stacked, and uh, I think I had more shutouts than shots that whole year. You know what I mean? Like 16 shutouts, I counted them. One of the two goals I let him was in the Grand Championship, and so I was just hooked. I thought, oh God, this is no goat, all hero, but I learned quickly that, you know, but I really got into the, you know, Jacques Plante would have called the nobility of it, the most noble position in sports. But I, I like those, you know, those odds. You could really be the cause, you could be the, or... Biggest effect on the game? Yeah, the biggest effect on the game. And really playing a different game than everyone else. You're on, like, there's two separate games going on. You can't play goalie harder or faster, you know? Yep. So nothing really applied. I really like that aspect, too. I mean, coaches, rarely would I find a coach that knew any knew what to say to me. Now, you do this and that drill. Yeah. You, uh, you just down stop the goal, uh, the stretch. We'll get to you in a minute. And I like that whole independence of it, right. you know, I really did. 
and I think it's still the case. I mean, goalies are, are playing a very different game than everyone else out there, and uh, it's also two sports in one. There. For as much as Gord loved hockey, and he did love hockey, he kind of hit his zenith as a hockey player at age 14 or in Bantam when he uh, when he won a championship, provincial championship, and uh, he loved uh, loved talking about that. But in this next clip um, from our interview, it's fascinating how he talks about the transition from being a champion on a championship team and kind of hitting your peak, and and then how quickly other interests and those other interests were music and girls. Um, took over his life when he moved from Amherst View to Kingston as a 15-year-old um, in the lyrical way, as you would expect from Gord. Uh, and he explains how hockey fell like a coat off his shoulder. So uh, give this a listen. Well, we won the provincial championship when I was major bantam. Oh, wow. We played. It's not like it happened yesterday. It's not like I just dying out on it. But uh, it was Pinkton, then Campbellford then East Billingbury, then Gravenhurst, then Exeter. So London, you know, from our town, on a school night on a bus. But, and Exeter, and I think, you know, uh, I think a player named Brad Shaw, I think his, his dad was the coach, he was a defenseman, and I think he went on to play for the Whalers. He had a kind of yep. pretty storied, but I never checked that out. He's still coaching. But I think it was him, and he was there. He was their defenseman. They were very good, Fantastic. and they had us on the ropes. I think we, they won team was he on? Exeter. Exeter. South London. Anyway, all that said, uh, it was a huge thing, and they they won the first game. I think we tied the second, so it became a point series. First one to eight points, and I think they won the next one. So they had us. So they had us five points to one. They might, you know. They might have had a seven points to one, but we definitely had staged a very Hendersonian <laughs> comeback and beat them. And, the, you know, the rink in our little town is full. Like maybe 3,000 people, 2,500 people, wow. just like... It's huge. So that's... Is that the, the zenith? Of the is crowd, that the zenith? Yeah. I want more of that, yeah. No, well, you know, and it's very much what I do. It's the same thing, like for a show, like we talked about, for the goalie. Uh, I forget how you put it, but that's... The effect on the game or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's still what I'm doing, really. Trying to have the most effect on the game. Yeah. Okay, sure. Now, were you concurrently in the music along the way, or yeah. did that start later? Mm -hmm. No, I love music. My sister would buy all the 45s. Our family were all of us were really into music, listening to it growing up, and uh, I would do that constantly. And uh, when I moved into Kingston, when we moved into Kingston, I stopped playing hockey, so I lived on minor midget. That was the year after the big championship, and the, you know it was like win the championship and then get on this minor midget team that was just super struggling. And the same coaches that were my good buddies were all of a sudden like, you know. Anyway, I just quickly lost interest, but moved into town, into Kingston, and um, there was just so much more to do. And I met a lot of guys, you know, I met some guys that were in a band, which was like, to me, so hockey just fell like a coat that I just let fall off my shoulders, literally. It's just like, I didn't sign up. And in, I could in Kingston, I would have had to kind of like start with all the whole, whole new guys. And, right. But I really just didn't want to. It was just like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, and got into a band at 15, 16, and I've never looked back. That's all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. By the way, in the interest of uh, hockey accuracy and hindsight and being able to check it out after we did the interview, it was not, in fact, Bradshaw who played for the Exeter team that Gord played against. It was David Shaw uh, who ended up being a first-round pick of the uh, the Quebec Nordiques and went on to play 700 and 69 NHL games, so amongst Gord's many claim to fames, um, he was able to beat uh, a future NHLer in Dave Shaw. So uh, I, I, by the way, during this lunch was like a kid in the candy store because as much as I wanted to talk to Gord about the hockey aspect of it for the book, the hockey and hip connection for the book, um, 
I really just wanted to talk to him about the hip and music and got to talk to him about the formative years. So I heard all about the filters and the slinks and the rodents and all these bands and tried to get the chronology going and found out that, uh, you know, everybody talks about how the the guys in the hip, the guys in the band uh, all grew up together and they did. They, in fact, they were all attending high school at the same time. But what I didn't realize is that Robbie Baker and Gord Sinclair were in grade 13 when Paul Langwa and Gord Downey were in grade 11 and Johnny Fay was in grade 9 and that they didn't actually know each other um, uh, until they started getting connected with some different bands and, as I said, the Filters, the Slinks, the Rodents before they finally uh, created this entity known as the Tragically Hip. And uh, even on that count, um, there's great discrepancy as to when exactly the... Uh, the hip started. Uh, was it 1983 or uh, was it 1984? And uh, so uh, listen to the following uh, clip from our interview where uh, Gord discusses that discrepancy. And he also talks about how he rediscovered his love for playing hockey again, although not until he was into his 30s. What was the first year that he, the hip was yeah, it's up for, up for some debate, but it's either 83 or 84 <clears throat> our first gig. We put out hats, the trash, you know, the hip since 1984, just last year, on like a Canadian flag. And, and Johnny was like, yeah, no, it's 83, so they pulled the hats. <laughs> the new one since 83, so finals 84 caps there, collector's items. <laughs> did you fully determine that it was 83, or did you just give Johnny his way? I don't know. See, it's, uh, it's funny because the past is not my forte. You know, a, fr uh, a friend says you got to stop the tractor once in a while and look back at what you plowed, and I'm just so terrible at it. I really just move forward and always have, and <clears throat> I just, you know, so I honestly don't know. Okay, so, so you get to high school, and as you say, you, you took the cloak of hockey off. You're into music, you're doing all that. Did, in terms of playing, did you ever pick it up again, or yeah, was it yeah, but not for a lot of years later. Not till I was here in Toronto, right? Thirty something. Okay. And some buddies in the neighborhood on a Friday afternoon. Hey, but you were didn't find that then, did you? I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I would play shinny in the neighborhood. We would same guys in this neighborhood. We would sneak into Withrow Park after dark on a Sunday night. All the lights were still on, but people weren't allowed. We climb that fence. I love shinny. Love playing. I mean, aside from playing cool all those years growing up, I mean, I loved playing shinny. And I was very good at it. You know, playing yeah. out, which is weird because I loved it so much more than being a goalie. Right. Playing out, and um, and so we would go after school. You know, and everyone has these stories where we track across these fields to these. I guess they'd be like tailing ponds for sewage um, filtration. Right which would freeze just perfectly pristine, yeah. you know, flat. And we would, but you'd essentially be skating on shit. shit ponds, yeah. Where was that? Uh, just north of Amherst and just west of the Amherst Golf Course. Oh, okay, course. I see. This is when you were younger. Younger, yeah. yeah. Right. So in road hockey, you also just play, 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 hockey, 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 hockey. And, uh, but then, yeah, I got to Toronto on Friday afternoons, and I'd play goal. Um, but, you know, I'd be gobbling Advil till Wednesday. I'm really fine. It really... So, but I hung in there. We had a good time for a bunch of years. And we'd come here after... They still do. After the games. Friday afternoons have a few beers. It's a great bunch of guys. Great fun. Right. But physically... Um, yeah. And, I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, what goalie you are, what kind of game you're in. Yeah. You just... You're not happy being the rodeo clown, you know. It's just you want to stop every puck. Yeah. Like Brendan Shannon scored on me. Yeah, damn it. Celebrity pro am or something. Oh, you know, yeah. Doug Gilmore comes in and you know you're mad. You're like, but it's like Doug Gilmore scored on you. Yeah. I don't get it. <laughs> you know, you think you can stop everything. And yeah, and that's a really weird one. The hip and hockey connection has always been a strong one. All the guys in the band like hockey. They all played hockey. I mean, when they were a band and they were touring, they would organize ball hockey games in the parking lot. Uh, Gord told a funny story about opening for Page and Plant, and they were in the, the parking lot of the Philadelphia Spectrum, the guys in the band and the crew, and 
they were playing ball hockey and it was like five minutes before they were going on and they've all got a lather going from playing hockey and they were just the opening act so they just literally ran from the parking lot to the stage and went out and played several songs before uh, Page and Plant um, at the, the Spectrum in Philadelphia. So there's lots of stories like that. They would rent ice. Um, they'd find gear. Um, Gord laughed and talked about how some guys in the crew, not the band, but some guys in the crew might have a few uh, too many adult beverages and play and somebody would inevitably end up getting hurt. So there was a period of time, especially in the early years, where the, the band and hockey was was always front and center. I, I mean, you know, and, and they started to become known for that. And then I think there was part of them that shied away from that a little bit too, where they didn't want to be that Canadian cliche, you know, the tragically hip Canadian band, hockey players, all about hockey. And But as Gord said, uh, one of their trademarks was the fact that they marketed and sell and licensed the tragically hip hockey jersey. And uh, there's been many incarnations of that in terms of color, the red and white, the, the Canadian national team look, the uh, the black and gold with Gus the polar bear on it that Gord said was not his doing picking the Bruin colors. But uh, in any case, he said uh, he, that they tend to suck and blow at the same time in terms of not wanting to be or wanting to be associated with hockey. Funny thing is, for as many songs as the Tragically Hip have, have written, um, probably more than 150, um, and all these tour dates they've done all over the world, multiple number one hits, you, you name it. Um, as near as I can tell, there's only four songs that uh, are about hockey, per se, or have a real hockey theme to them. Now, I'm not counting... The freestyling version when Gord would sing New Orleans is sinking, where instead of singing, I had my hands in the river, my feet back up on the banks, looked up to the Lord above and said, hey, man, thanks. He would sing, I have my I had my hands in the river, my feet back up on the shore, looked up to the Lord above and said, hey, man, thanks. It's Bobby Orr. And uh, that one doesn't count as a hockey song. But um, there are four. And uh the first hip hockey reference, and arguably its most famous, was from 50 Mission Cap, a single from the 1992 album, Fully Completely. I'd actually had this conversation with Gord before about 50 Mission Cap. When I worked at the Toronto Star, when 50 Mission Cap was released, I wrote a column in the Star about it. So uh, I referenced that uh, when I asked Gord about it in this interview. 50 Mission Cap, I remember you told me that the original idea for the song was you were actually at the Smithsonian, I think, when you, yeah. you saw the, the actual caps and about the whole concept. That's right. 50 missions and you're done and the old guys had the worked in one and, yeah. and you were able to combine that and, and tell uh, the, the Barilco story which yeah. I guess you find appealing. Is, is my recollection of that correct? Or? 
Yeah, and I mean, back in those days, I think I was definitely doing kind of a cut and paste or collage style kind of writing, you know, where you just take things and put them together. I think I got Pigeon Camera to that same visit, to that same Air and Space Museum, because there's a whole, there's a little thing about how they use pigeons, uh, right. put cameras on homing pigeons to take spy photographs, you know. Um, so yeah, the 50 mission camp that day, and then the card, and I think I was just sort of taking things and mashing them together, but I thought it somehow fit, you know, the idea of, you know, veteran pilot, and the ultimate goal would be to fly 50 missions, would be, would make you a, what's the ultimate goal, stay alive, right? you know, and, and, um, and that in that itself is its own glory, you yeah. know, a long storied career. Yeah. And contrast that with Bill Barocco's flashing moment, is it better to burn out than to fade away, you know, these kinds of thoughts, yeah. I guess. And um, But it wasn't just a cut and dried sort of story of a yeah. guy, a hockey player disappearing, exactly. you know, because I guess I just didn't feel comfortable just telling it as, as a straight sort of yeah. narrative or, yeah. you know, sort now, of... were you aware of the story before you read the hockey card or no? The Barilco yeah. goal? No. No. So you read it on a hockey card? I did, literally, Kind of yeah. captivated you? Yeah. Okay. Cool. And that idea of I mean, sort of self-reflexive, sort of admitting that you stole something, yeah. which is, you know, kind of silly anyway, because everyone's doing it anyway. One of the uh, seminal hip hockey moments regarding that 50 Mission Cap song actually occurred on February 10th, 1995, and Gordon and I talked about it in the interview. Gordon remembers it very well because it's... Uh, one of his sister's birthdays is February 10th. He couldn't remember the year. I had to look it up. But it was February 10th, 1995 at Maple Leaf Gardens. Now, of course, Maple Leaf Gardens is where Bill Barilko scored that goal. And uh, Gord said that uh, his dad, Edgar, who's not really, wasn't really a huge hockey fan, uh, liked baseball better than hockey, but obviously liked hockey well enough, um, apparently fell to his knees and pointed up to the banner. There was there was a moment when they were playing that song, and as it built to the crescendo, the, the spotlight went up on that lone banner at Maple Leaf Gardens, and Gord pointed up to it while he was singing the song, and it really was, uh, really was quite something um, in the, the hip hockey history, if you will. The, uh, the, the second uh, hip song, uh, that chrono- chronologically speaking, that came out was Fireworks um, from the Phantom Power uh, album in 1998. And for many hip aficionados, uh, this is one of their favorite hip songs. Let's uh, give this a little listen, or part of it anyway. If there's a go- Man, that is a good song. But the the hilarious thing is is how it's become sort of an ode to hockey. I remember I was doing a World Junior broadcast at TSN, and and uh, they they were playing fireworks, and I, I was kind of laughing because I said to James Duffy, uh, who by the way is also a tremendous fan of the hip, and and penned a great piece on TSN.ca about his love of Gord and uh, all things tragically hip. So if you get a chance, uh, as an aside, check out James Collum on tsn.ca. But the point I was making was it's kind of the exact opposite. Um, International hockey is all about the patriotism, and there's a line in that song where it's amazing what happens when you don't let the nation get in your way. And uh, more importantly, it was Gord just basically explaining uh, why he was leaving hockey for uh, music and girls. Was, was there a girl that loosened your grip on Bobby Orr? Yeah. I mean, I talk about hockey falling off like a like a coat to the floor, you know. Um, and girls do that too, you know. I mean, music and girls, just like you discover that. It's like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you don't want your Saturdays tied up. 
sweaty game anymore. Um, so yeah, loosening my grip on Bobby or yeah, I remember that. And I remember her saying, I don't give a fuck about hockey. Just like, whoa. I, 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 tried to, I tried to convey, like, I've never heard a girl swear. Like, I've never heard a girl say that, you know, or anybody, you know. Yeah. Or anyone say, I don't give a fuck about hockey. Which I think was sort of saying, you know, yeah, like, there's a whole, there's another world out there. Right. You know, beyond, which is hard to fathom. The third hockey hip song uh, came in 2004 from uh, In Between Evolution. And uh, it's Heaven is a Better Place Today. And uh, this is a song that uh, Tragically Hip fans know was written in honor of the late Dan Snyder, but also very much for Danny Heatley. Now, Snyder and Heatley were teammates with the, uh, the Atlanta Thrashers in the fall of 2003. Uh, on September 29th of that year, Snyder was a passenger in Heatley's Ferrari, and uh, Dan Snyder suffered head trauma in a high-speed car crash, and he died six days later. Now, Danny Heatley, who had some broken bones and non-life-threatening injuries, ended up being charged with vehicular homicide in the first and second degree, reckless driving, driving too fast for conditions, failure to maintain his lane and speeding. Heatley did have some alcohol in his system, but it was well below the legal limit in Georgia. He later pleaded guilty to four of the six charges with um, vehicular homicide in the first degree and reckless driving being totally dropped. Uh, Danny Heatley was sentenced to three years probation. Um, so there was something in the way that what Danny Heatley went through, as well as Dan Snyder and Dan Snyder's family, that inspired Gord um, to write, Heaven is a Better Place Today. Obviously, aside from being interested in it, but what motivated the, the Snyder song? Yeah, I was watching that one pretty closely when it happened, like everybody. And that's a song I haven't listened to in a while, but... But just, yeah, I'm really feeling for Danny, actually. You know, and I didn't really know him too well. Who, um, Yeah. 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 Dan Snyder I didn't know at all. I, yeah. didn't, I don't think I knew Danny before that either. Right. And, uh, but I just thought he really needed a friend, and uh, I think he did. You know, it was really tough for him. I mean, obviously, we weren't in that vehicle, in that car, and right. they were buddies, you know. Exactly. And uh, that's something that he doesn't need any reminder about, how, you know, uh, how much that's going to bother him for the rest of his life. Yeah. You know, and he pays whatever debt that society thinks he needs to pay, and that makes everyone feel good, but that doesn't help him in a lot of ways I mean maybe it does help him sort of move on a bit and say well but that's not the real punishment here did you ever talk to him directly about that afterwards I didn't we we would just sort of meet and he texts me now from like odd hours and and he'd be like hey bud and he's on he's on he's on a dock somewhere and um here I got it and um this is my place no 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 I got it I got it no He's on a dock somewhere, I know, and, he's, and the hip has come up on his iPod or somebody's, you know, and he'll hit me with an email or a little text saying, listen to your tunes, and yeah, which I love. I truly love getting those little texts from people, and they're just like, you know, I should. And, uh, and I'm really, I'm, I love that little friendship we have, because it's, you know, uh, yeah. Did you ever, did you ever uh, like, with Danny's brother Jake or the yeah. family or anything? Yeah. 
I, I know that some of the golf tournaments, some of the guys were down there at, yeah. at various times and that. Yeah, I went to, I think, the first or second tournament, and I didn't play golf anymore, so I rode right. around on the um, golf cart with um, Dan's dad. Graham, yeah, Graham, summer sausage. Delivering those sausages and meeting with golfers at every tee, and, and uh, that was great. I was, uh, I dressed so, well, I just don't fit. I think I was wearing, <laughs> I don't know what I was wearing. I just remember feeling not very particularly golfy, and, and half the people concurring with me. Um, they're a beautiful family, you know. Yeah, they really are. And I was really struck by them too. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you. Struck by their reactions to all this too. I think was part of the writing of the song too. It's just a beautiful, yeah. you know, like people saying, you know, we're going to handle this, right, between us all, you know, and and thanks, but. A lot of pain there and then just what they did outwardly and inwardly you know i just was so impressed by that right just like to take a moment to echo those same sentiments that gord expressed in that interview about the snyder family uh, graham his wife luann uh, dan snyder's brother jake um uncle jeff uh jeff snyder um uh, tremendous folks uh, my good friend steve webb that for many years ran the the golf tournament down in Elmira, the the dan snyder memorial and uh, really special people, and uh, that song really sort of meant a lot to them. And uh, and Danny Heatley as well. And in fact, after Gord, the, the news broke in May of uh, 2016 that Gord had been diagnosed with the uh, incurable brain cancer, um, I actually got a text from Danny Heatley, and we were commiserating about the news about Gord, and, and Danny just reflected uh, how much Gord's support and, and that song and and uh, everything meant um, to Danny Heatley. So um, there you go. Uh, the fourth and final hip song about uh, hockey is the one that actually uh, means the most and was the most personal uh, to Gord, and that is uh, The Lonely End of the Rink, which is an ode to his father, Edgar. Now, Edgar was still alive when we did this interview, but he did pass away in October of uh, 2015, so a little less than two years after we did this uh, this interview. In any case, um, first have a listen to the song, and then we'll get to uh, something from the interview. You can tell from that song how much it meant for Gord to see his dad, Edgar, raise that fist in the arena while Gord was out on the ice making saves. And I could tell from the lunch interview that I did with Gord that um, the level of reverence and love and affection uh, between Gord and his dad was was really off the charts. And uh, Gord also tells an <laughs> absolutely amazing story as part of the discussion about his dad and about this song, about a minor hockey catastrophe 
and um, so 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 listen to what Gord says about his dad. But uh, I hope you enjoy the uh, the minor hockey meltdown Gord had uh, as much as I did. I mean, uh, yeah, the lonely in the rink was a good one. Actually, that was that's my, the, my favorite. That's your favorite of those four. The, yeah. the one that means the most because that's that's the most personal. Isn't yeah, it? that's yeah. you and your dad, isn't it? Yeah. And again, with him being a salesman, all he could come, he'd catch a period at most, you know, because weekends and after school, after dinner for a real estate salesman are peak. Time. He can't. But he would, uh, I really liked that. He was, he was not a hockey dad. In fact, my friend Phil Bunzik, I would just, like, I didn't have to ask. They would just come pick me up for right. games and practices. And I'd walk to practices with all my gear, but games, you know, because I just, my dad could never do it. And, uh, but it didn't bother me. I really kind of liked that again, that independence of right. being there on my own in the rink and not having sort of a parent, yeah. you know, howling at me. Uh, I liked that. And my dad, again, he would just, I'd love be playing. And I'd look up and there would be, but he wouldn't be where all the other parents are under the warmest heat lamp. He'd be down on my end just by himself. And I'd look up and he'd go. And, just like, and then I'd go flurry of saves and like and I'd look up and he'd be gone you know just like oh Jesus and um, but that didn't bother me at all it's just like oh, but uh, he was very good very good about it because I'd be very hard on myself after games and he'd just be he'd listen and you know but never really sort of you know tell me what to do right or what I could have done better did he put that fist up what did that mean to you just like I'm here I'm with and, you uh, I'm with you even though I can't always be with you. Yeah, and maybe no one else in the building is, you know, if it's four nothing or something, you know, just like yeah. keep it together. You know. I remember one oh, that same playoff year, uh, with that run to the cup. Uh, my grandparents had come my entire it was like a, some kind of special weekend. Easter, I don't know. But my grandparents were there my, and all my brothers and sisters came, which they never did. My sisters didn't care about hockey and they all came. And we got up on this team. I think it was five nothing. Heading into the third. And they take you take a little break between the second and third and minor hockey. At least you did. Come out for the third. They get one early. Five one. Another five two. Five three. Five four. And I'm like, this isn't fucking half five five. <laughs> they tied the game up. And I they, I think they even go ahead. They might get six goals in a row. It's just something happened to me. I just yeah. thought, we're there. Like, I can't believe it. My whole family's here. My grandparents are here. My grandpa is a huge sports fan. You know, another hero in my life. And, yeah, boom. Six goals, maybe in the first ten minutes of the third period. Just like, wow. <laughs> and it's, it becomes a self-fulfilling. When it's like 5-3, you're like, oh, no, no. This is what I think is happening. It's not 5-4, 5-5, 6-5. And I take my stick. Maybe it's 6-5 and just start wailing on the crossbar. Like, uh, I didn't hit the crossbar seven times, I hit it like 14 times, until my stick snapped, and I was brought to the bench. Thank you, coach, thank you. Think it's time for me to come out? Uh, and he did, and then I go to the dressing room, and the thing is, the other goalie goes in, we tie it up, and we get to go, and we win 7-6. You know what I mean? Like we win the game, but no thanks to me. President of the league comes into the dressing room. I've never been more ashamed of a player in this organization ever, and you know, just like, and I'm crying. And my dad comes in, you know, get your stuff, you know, because I was always the last one out. Like it just turned to shit. Yeah. And I go home and I wouldn't leave the, the laundry room. I got into the laundry room, like the, the mud room of our house. Yeah. And my grandfather finally had to come in and just talk me into at least just coming in, moving to the kitchen. Can you come into the kitchen? But he, he, he was a coach, like he was a, you know, he just didn't, like, what do you say? Still scarred? Still scarred. I don't know what the score was, but it was like that. It was like a lot of goals. That was, that was your major man in the year? That was the year. The year that was the year, yeah. 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 See, if it didn't kill you, it made you stronger. Yeah. And we swept that team. Like it was three straight. That was that, I think that was to win the series. You know, so I was just on my way home, I guess, yeah, at the start of the third period. <laughs> you know, so I didn't feel bad for the Leafs last year when the Bruins did that to them in Game Seven. It happens. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> didn't you feel a little bit sorry for them? <laughs> no. 
really didn't. <coughs> uh, it really, really didn't. That's funny. That's really funny. That's actually pretty funny the way Gord put it. I really, really didn't. No sympathy for the Toronto Maple Leaf fans who uh, saw their team collapse in that playoff game against uh, Gord's Bruins. And, and that just reinforces for not only Gord, uh, but especially his brothers, Mike and Patrick, um, just how intense the love of all things Bruins is. And uh, I'll, to, to reinforce that, I'll just read a little passage. It's actually the beginning of the fully, completely chapter nine in my Hockey Confidential book. Um, so here you go. Gordon, his younger brother, Pat, talk on the phone every day. They talk about what is near and dear to them, the Boston Bruins. During the playoffs, contact is even more frequent and intense, upgraded to a combination of phone calls, texts, and emails on pretty much a shift-by-shift, running-time basis during every Bruin game. And it should be, as it should be, rather. When the Bees up their game in the postseason, so too to Gordon Pat. Now, Gordon, his older brother, Mike, We'll speak to each other about the Bruins. It isn't like they never break bread over the bees. It's not as if it's forbidden, but it's not as frequent, not as naturally simpatico as it is with Gordon Pat. You see, Gordon Mike know that sometimes, in the interest of peace and love, it's best to steer clear of certain topics, at least since the infamous Ray Bork blow-up of 2001. That's when Gord left Mike's house in a huff, because Mike was mad at Gord for not being happier for the ex-Bruin great winning his first Stanley Cup with the Colorado Avalanche. Gord and Mike are kin. They are flesh and blood, brothers in arms. But when it comes to the bees, they sometimes tend not to see things the same way, so they will opt for the path of least resistance. Now, whether it's Gord talking to Pat, or Gord talking to Mike, or Pat and Mike talking to each other, they're all Bruins at heart, damn it. It should go without saying... But it needs to be said for emphasis nonetheless. The Downey brothers are not what you would call casual fans of the spoke bee. Their passion for the black and gold knows no bounds. It is deep and abiding, communal, maybe even tribal. It's how we connect, Gord said. We have deep discussions every day about the Bruins or other stuff that may or may not be important in our lives. So yeah, mostly about the Bruins. Could you really expect anything else from Gordon Pat? Two boys who, when they were christened, had Harry Sinden, the architect of the Big Bad Bruins, and the team's longtime head coach and general manager, as their godfather. The lonely end of the rink actually had a great impact not only on Gord, but uh, his brothers as well, especially Mike, But um, which uh, uh, during our interview created uh, two moments of levity. The, the first one you'll hear is when Gord and I both forget the lyrics to the song, of course, I uh, I happen to have a lyric sheet with me, so that's the, the, the long pause and paper rustling that you're going to hear. Uh, and then you'll hear Gord talk about uh, Mike's reaction to hearing Lonely End of the Rink and a good inside joke that uh, Mike and Gord and, uh, and another friend have about what they call Cherry Beach um, in Toronto. So uh, let's give it a listen. The... Um, Lonely End of the Rink, the... The, the, the great line is the one of the, the fakes and the deeks. That was really, that's really like really good, like really lyrical. Uh, yeah, you'll never get beat by the. Well, the thing is, it's like it's mostly something fakes awesome. and the sweetest of deeks. Hold on, hold on. Never let me say that. Look at there. I'm not curious. Fakes or be beaten by the sweetest of deeks. That's good. That's good stuff. That is good. I played that for my older brother, Mike, and he started to cry. I remember that. Really? Yeah, we went for a ride. And I called, let's go to Handjob Beach. Down to Cherry Beach, you drive in the car and you listen to music, right? Right. And everything sounds better with a handjob. But uh, uh, it's a joke. Me and my brother, me and my friend Josh. But, you know, usually I've got a new record to play. We'll go for a drive. I'll play you my record. And I took Mike down to Handjob Beach. And, uh, and we cried together. Just thinking of the old man. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I really, uh, but I just admire my dad, the way he approached it all. You know, whether by design or neglect, I just, he was the perfect hockey dad in that he just let me do it. What's clear from what we've heard here today, along with 
anything you've known about Gord over the years is what an incredible family man he was, um, how his family was so important to him, <clears throat> him and vice versa. And, um, I mean, I don't know what more we can say about him. 53 years old, my goodness, that's far, far too young. He had so much more to give us, but he also gave us so much. And he's such an inspiration on so many levels. I mean, a great singer, a great songwriter, a lyricist, um, musician. Um, but the, the social conscience that he had, the, his work with the First Nations in Canada, the, his work with the environment and, and uh, Lake Ontario water keepers, and just a social and and political and public conscience that he had. But most of all, he was just a kind and gentle man who treated people really well and uh, made you feel like he was one of his best friends. Um, and there's countless stories out there of people who cross paths just even casually with Gord who talk about that ability that he had to, to make you feel special and to, to make you feel good. And... Uh, this uh, this podcast is coming out on, what are we, Friday, October 20th, tonight on the CTV Network, I believe 8 p.m. Um, long time running, the, uh, the fantastic documentary on Gord and the Tragically Hip that was basically from the time Gord was diagnosed and then the, the tour of 2016, culminating, of course, with the amazing transcendent moment in Canada when the, the whole country virtually stopped what it was doing to watch the final Tragically Hip concert on August 20th, 2016 in Kingston. And um, I, I can't recommend this film enough. Jennifer Bishwal and Nick DePoncier did an amazing job. I saw the, the, the film at its premiere at Roy Thompson Hall in September. That's actually when I first heard that Gord had kind of taken a turn from the worst. He wasn't able to, to be there that night and, uh, and, and so knew that the, the news we got this week was not altogether unexpected, though still very, very uh, upsetting. But if you get an opportunity to, to see this, it's, um, it, it really captures Gord as Gord is meant to be captured as well as the entire band and uh, it's something that uh, we'll, we'll always have and uh, I think the, the most important thing to say about Gord is, is quite aside from music and everything else, uh, he showed us the way and, and, and the way for me and for all of us to be our better self and uh, as, as sad as it is that he's gone um, I said to many people who were expressing condolences this week um, how many of us get to leave a legacy like the one that Gord Downey has left, the music, the example of how to uh, live your life. And uh, it's, it's absolutely remarkable. So he's, he's left us so much uh, to continue to get us through. And uh, so many treasures, and not the least of which is music. But uh, I know when, when the news became public that Gord had cancer, I sent him an email that day, and uh, he, he sent me a response back, and, and I won't, uh, it's personal, I won't share it here, but just, I, I treasure that, that response and that email, and I've printed that out, and it's something I'll always have, just as in that summer of 2016, I went to the third of the Toronto shows at the Air Canada Centre, and a week or two prior to that, while Gord was on tour, I sent him an email uh, just marveling at what he and the band were accomplishing under extraordinary circumstances. And again, he sent me back a, an email that was, I mean, so personal and, and, and so deep. Um, again, something that, uh, that I'll treasure for my, my entire life. And, and I, I had hoped to get together with him after the Air Canada show, but I, I knew that that probably wasn't going to happen. And as I walked out of the ACC that night with my son, Mike, and my son, Sean, and James Duffy, who was there with me, um, I thought to myself, I'm probably, that's probably the last time uh, I'll see Gord um, in person. And, uh, but as fate would have it, I was at the Air Canada Centre last December for a Toronto Maple Leaf-Pittsburgh Penguin game just prior to Christmas. I was there with my whole family, and... Uh, it turned out that a couple of private boxes over from the TSN box, uh, Gord Downey and his brother Patrick were there, along with Bobby Orr, and um, I'm real good friends with Bobby. So, as fate would have it, I was able to go and, and spend some time with Bobby 
and Gord and Patrick. And um, if you go on my Instagram account, you'll see there's a, a photo that I had taken that night. I realized then that I, I had no photos of myself with Gord. And so I got one taken that night. And uh, if you go to my Instagram account, you'll see it. And uh, he looked great in it. And he he gave me a big hug and a big kiss that night. And he, he told me, I love you, Bob. And uh, I said, I know. And uh, I love you, too. And uh, I knew when I walked out of the Air Canada Centre that night that um, I was not likely to uh, ever see or talk to Gord again. And uh, that, that was very sad. Um, and his passing this week was very sad. Um, but uh, he left us with so, so much. And uh, the only thing I can think to say or do at this point is uh, play you a song. And it's not the uh, what I would call the, the best tragically hip song that, uh, that I've ever heard. But I will say this, and I've always said this about it. It is the hap, hap, happiest uh, tragically hip song. And so uh, on that note, we will end the uh, Gord Downey edition of the Bobcast. And uh, I'll just say I love you, pal. And uh, this is for everybody.
Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca, and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time, and have a great weekend.